All right, everybody, it is time for another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. But before we dive in to our awesome, awesome guest and conversation today, I want to remind you guys of two things. And the first one is that if you go to Crypto101insider.com, you can join our private community. Here's where we have our model portfolio and all of our top picks. We also have uh, Crypto 101 University. Uh, where we have hours and hours and hours of written and video content that explains blockchain and explains cryptocurrency in a very bite-sized and easy-to-understand way. Uh, and we have a weekly newsletter that goes out and quarterly state of crypto addresses that go out. There is just a ton of value packed into this every which way. So I want you guys first uh, to go to Crypto101insider.com today uh, if you haven't already. I also want to remind you guys that Pizza Mind and I recently just finished a book. Uh, it took 11 months of our lives to write, and we're calling it Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. We walk you through this fascinating world of cryptocurrencies and blockchain, and it's part history book, it's part instructional guide, and it's going to really show you guys why cryptocurrencies are globally disruptive and how they're going to actually change in real life and in real terms the way that we buy and sell and even live. We include a bunch of how-tos on getting started with your first exchanges. Uh, we give you tips on you know, how to safely buy and sell and store cryptocurrencies, as well as how do we evaluate potentially good cryptocurrencies. And the best part of the book is that we're giving it away for free. All you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. So go to CryptoRevolution.com and pick up your copy today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 podcast. I hope everybody's having a fantastic morning, noon, or night, wherever you guys are in the world, you're in the right place because I'm joined today by not only my trusty uh, compadre, Mr. Aaron Pizzamine Malone, but a special guest, Jane Ma, who's the co-founder of ZK Lend. So before I even bring her on to discuss the future of uh, zero knowledge proofs, the centralized exchanges, all sorts of crazy DeFi stuff, uh, let's check in with Pizza Mind over in Texas. How are you doing, sir? Well, we found ourselves in the wrong place earlier this week when it was discovered <laughs> that PayPal apparently thinks it's God and has the right to fine its users depending on what they write on the internet mm. or potentially even purchase. Uh, they slipped a clause into their new acceptable use agreement that wasn't just a couple words, but it was a whole paragraph outlining all the things that they consider themselves having the right to fine a minimum of $2,500 per I heard incident. they walked it back. I heard I heard they came out and they oh, walked yes. it back. They did. After boycott, PayPal started trending on Twitter and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people have deleted their accounts myself one of them but it just goes to show what we've been talking about for years now that privacy is important mm. um it was and just people, kind always, of people always say like you know privacy is important but why is it important if you're not doing anything yes. wrong then it didn't, doesn't matter but doing things wrong is just shades of gray at this point now because that's you right know, you Who's could just to decide you could just disagree PayPal, with apparently. some apparently paypal's the final arbiter of truth with what's right yeah. and what's wrong, being able to objectively say, you know, what you purchased is wrong or what you said online is wrong. So we're going to freeze your money. And now they walked it back. So obviously 
uh, they realize that the power of the people and the and you know the power of just a little bit of protest goes a long way. But anyhow, yes. that was that was something really interesting that happened. And, and somebody uh, obviously who we we kind of uh, mentioned prior, uh, but somebody who's going to join us today to talk about privacy and to talk about you know why think she thinks that this is an important concept uh, beyond just you know you know human rights, but maybe even as a as a technical kind of uh, advancement in cryptography. We have. Uh, Jane Moss. So Jane, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for bringing ZK Lend and your expertise to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryce and Aaron. Very excited to be here today. Um, yeah, yeah and, and chat all things, I guess, ZK rollups, um, DeFi, and, and really anything. Do you, do you have a hot take on everything that was going on with PayPal? Like, do you kind of hear what we're saying and you're like, oh my God, these guys are crazy. What kind of show did I just get on? Or, or do you kind of see eye to eye with what's going on here? You guys are crazy, but I completely <laughs> yeah. agree with what's going on. And, and I think what we often forget is like, it isn't just about PayPal. It's also about the different companies that they own. So like I used to be an, a huge user of Venmo, right? Back in the day. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it's, 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 you know, you don't think about it on a day-to-day -day basis, but it actually like sprawls its legs across different multiple businesses. That's a good point that I didn't even consider. I mean, I have yeah, sent some money from friend to friend over Venmo with a little private remark that was probably <laughs> not going to be something I would want seen in public. Uh, but if they saw that and they find me $2,500, I would be quite livid and quite poor. I've got shit coins to buy, PayPal. You leave me alone. <laughs> and let's not forget we're in a bear market too. Yeah. How is uh how has ZK Lend kind of been navigating this bear market as as a co-founder? Um, you know, you guys have uh kind of traversed a few different market land landscapes. Uh, what's your take right now? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been an, a very interesting experience. I would say probably different for every founder across the spectrum within Web three. Um, I would say mm -hmm. ZK Lend is still relatively new. Um, the team was formed um, late last year. Um, and we really went out to fundraise and we're, we're, we're in the process of, um, we're in testnet and looking to launch our product in the next couple of months. So I would say for me, um, it's, it's a little bit different than I would say some other founders who have projects live already, because obviously they need to um, take users and kind of the change in landscape into account. But for us, we're really just um, hunkering down and making sure we deliver our product on time and as promised um, and, and really sticking to the timeline, whether or not it's agreed pre-bear or post-bear. Yeah, you guys are just builders and, and focused pretty much on just making the, the best product. And, and that kind of leads us to the next logical question in everybody's mind. What is ZK Lend? High level, hit us with uh, the big idea. Sure. Um, so in a nutshell, we are a um, DeFi lending protocol um, with both a retail and institutional approach built on a new layer two network called StarkNet. Um, and for those of you who maybe are only hearing about StarkNet for the first time, um, StarkNet is a ZK rollup um, layer two network um, that um, I guess um, is I guess uh, built is built in some ways on top of Ethereum. So you get scalability. So if you think about L2s, it's all about um, compressing transactions and making sure there's scale um, while preserving the security of Ethereum layer one. Yeah, I always I so, always kind of view this whole evolution. I mean, because there's a lot of technical concepts there. Um, and, and at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the users just they're just like, OK, well, I, I want to hear about the end using, you know, end facing consumer facing products and 
the technical mumbo jumbo doesn't matter. But if people kind of remember back in, you know, the early 1990s, like you have an internet, right? And the internet it has no bandwidth. It has no scalability. And you could push, you know, simple files through text messages. Um, you could have very simple applications basically built on top of the internet. But there were some people um, who were like, oh my gosh, one day we're going to be able to stream live video through the internet, the same internet that we're using to send, uh, you know, a, a file packet that takes, you know, 10 minutes to download one gigabyte or something. Uh, but we're yeah. going to be able to stream that 4K all across the world. And it's going to bring uh, video to the homes of everybody. And, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And then other people were like, no, you're crazy. Uh, but here we are. And so I'm kind of trying to draw a parallel to where we're at with Ethereum currently, where we have Ethereum and we say, oh, there's amazing applications we could have on it. We're going to have decentralized lending markets and decentralized money markets to every citizen of the globe. And uh, it doesn't matter where you're at. You could access credit. You could do transactions and swaps and all that stuff. But then uh, we have a technical barrier. Ethereum can only do, you know, 15 transactions a second or whatever it is. And we, we, we kind of, the rubber meets the road. But I think ZK Lend, uh, it, you know, in particular, well, maybe I'll say, I think Starkware um, and StarkNet uh, could be that scaling moment where we actually start to open up the bandwidth of Ethereum so that applications like ZK Lend can now service hundreds of thousands of people simultaneously anywhere around the world. And that wasn't possible really prior to a lot of these layer twos. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think one statistic to really point out is you can basically fill, uh, you can basically fill like um, a proof with up to, I think 500 or don't quote me on it, but you can, you can, um, you can basically fill a proof with hundreds of thousands of transactions. Whereas the Ethereum throughput right now is about 22 um, transactions per second. So this is like scaling in the hundreds of thousands um, and, and opening up possibilities that um, I guess people aren't really even thinking about right now. And the one that I'm really excited about besides DeFi is actually gaming. Um, and, and that's actually an ecosystem that is currently thriving on StarkNet. Really interesting. We really haven't talked at all about StarkNet over here, um, about all the different layer twos that are out there. That's the one that we're probably least familiar with so that's interesting that that's the gaming one. Um, does StarkNet have its own validators? Does ZK Lend have its own validators? And if so, is it still even necessary to do a final settlement on Ethereum, which is also now proof of stake? Yeah, so StarkNet does have its own, um, I guess, validators, um, validating the proofs that are generated on, um, on StarkNet. Um, so the way it really works is that um, in very simple terms, um, basically, let's just say, um, Aaron, you make a transaction. Um, your transaction is basically batched together alongside multiple different transactions across different applications. Um, and basically, there will be a proof that gets generated with these transactions, basically saying, hey, the computations that I'm making are correct um, and, and please check them. And so basically the prover will generate such proof. And basically there will be a validator on Ethereum layer one saying, okay, the state changes are correct. And this is indeed something that is um, cryptographically proven. Like I don't actually need to know exactly what the transactions are, but the cryptographic proof basically says these transactions are valid. So things are proven by math and not by any kind of um, arbitrary judgment. Hmm. That's awesome. And, and, you know, through this whole process, there's uh, a key component. It's the Zend token. Um, can you kind of talk about where that 
Zend token fits into the, the application? Yeah, so I guess separating it a little bit, um, for ZKLand, you know, we are building an application on top of Starknet. So the Zen token is really, um, and, and it's not a token that's launched yet, but it's really core to our own protocol because um, the token is in some ways um, the purpose or our way to really incentivize different types of activities. So within our protocol, we have different lending and borrowing pools. Um, and how do we make sure that, you know, lenders and borrowers are going to the pools that we need them the most? So for example, maybe everyone wants to deposit USDC, um, but no one wants to borrow USDC because there just isn't demand for it right now. And everyone wants to borrow ETH, right? How do I ensure the ETH pool actually has enough supply so that people can actually go around borrowing? Um, part of it is obviously in terms of the interest rate mechanism. So making sure that your interest rates are priced attractively enough so you incentivize activities on both sides. But the other lever that we can actually pull is through our Zen token. Um, which will incentivize different types of activities um, through, I guess, through um, owning the ownership of Zen tokens. It's also um, our way of getting users to participate in the governance of the protocol. So um, I, I know sometimes governance is not on top of mind for a lot of people, but it is on top of mind for me um, and the future of the protocol for me right now, I'm building kind of the architect of what I think the protocol should look like. But in the future, in terms of where the protocol should go, um, what types of assets should be listed, um, and, and yada, 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 they should all be determined by the users themselves, which is why the Zen token is so important. What made you want to be a builder in Web3? With your educational background, you could have literally done anything in life. But what was <laughs> it about this market and this sector and this time that drew you in? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, I love operations. Um, so I, I started out my career in banking. I studied econ. So I, I really actually love the macro environment. I love reading the news. Um, and I, I just love understanding what happens, right? Like when the Fed moves, like how does this affect markets? So inherently after college, I just joined, uh, I joined a bank and I worked uh, in sales and trading. Um, but after a while, I decided, you know, a little bit too corporate for my personality. And I wanted to do something like 180. And so I actually went to a startup um, called Deliveroo and I worked in operations and what operations literally meant was like driver operations. So like making sure there are enough riders at different times of day when people actually want to order the most and making sure that you price incentives in a way that uh, gets drivers to come out and, and, and work and, and deliver um, and, and really service the customer. So putting two and two together, um, I ended up loving my job at Deliveroo. I thought it was one of the best jobs I could ever have. Um, I was on the ground actually like talking to um, drivers. Um, at times I was talking to restaurants and I realized this is the type of environment that I love. Like I love boots on the ground, like figuring stuff out. Um, but, you know, after a while, um, the company IPO'd and I was thinking about my next step. And kind of putting two, two and two together, I was like, okay, I actually really like markets and I, I love learning about it, um, but I like I like being on the ground. So like what works, right? Um, potentially DeFi, potentially Web3. I wasn't entirely sure yet, um, but actually have been a user of Web3 for some time. I, I really liked it, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to move into it full time. So when I got a chance to meet um, some really, really talented people, um, including Jonathan, our CTO, and Brian, I really felt that we could put a team together where our skill sets would complement one another. So for me, I love ops. For Brian, he's like a finance guy. Um, 
um, through and through, you know, that's where he spent the past, I think, 15 years of his career. And Jonathan is a really, really, really good uh, blockchain developer. So really felt that um, this, this could be the dream team. How did you meet them? I was just going to say that same thing, Pete. <laughs> yeah. So I met them actually through a couple of mutual friends um, and, and they were all actually in the space of Web3. And you know what happens um, when people join like Web3 companies or they start their own business? This is all they can talk about at dinner tables. So a couple of my friends, um, we got together and we started talking and they were like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm in this space. I really love it. Um, and I'm like, oh, I really want to learn more. Like, uh, I've only started trading on like, I don't know, like, I don't know, I started using compound, let's just say I'm like, I don't understand this and this. I was asking a bunch of stupid questions and they were like, well, you should talk to this guy because he's also like looking into transitioning full time to the space, but not sure what opportunities there are out there. Um, so it, it was really like luck of the draw, but uh, weirdly we came together. And so like you, you all three got together and then you guys raised $5 million at what point? Like, uh, was it, you guys had three been kind of working on this and you already had people working under you or, uh, kind of that money helped you now to scale a team and, and, and how big did you guys get? Yeah. I mean, we definitely floated around the, it wasn't like we got together and it was like, okay, let's go fundraise. Let's quit our jobs. It was really more like, okay, we got together. Uh, we liked each other not too sure, <laughs> like, let's, let's like try it out. Um, and so, you know, we, we got together a couple of weekends, um, tried to put together, I guess, a white paper and a proof of concept, um, and, and really, um, floated the idea around our friends first to see mm -hmm. what works. Um, you know, originally we knew ZK rollups was the future of Ethereum, but the timeline was still a little bit murky then. Um, like I remember Vitalik saying like, ZK rollups still have a couple of years to go. Um, so it really wasn't like, okay, let's like all quit our jobs tomorrow and do this. Um, but after a while, we also spoke with Starkware. Um, we really felt that, you know, this is a viable business. So let, let's go out there and see um, what investors might actually be interested. And we actually went out, uh, We our target was actually to raise a lower amount because we weren't sure um, what, how the market would react to our product. But, um, you know, it was it was really quite strong going there, um, which is why we decided, OK, we, we could we were actually able to raise five million dollars. What were some of the challenges that you feel like you personally kind of faced when you left this comfy, cushy job? And I'm not going to say like banking's easy by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it's not being a startup founder. And, and then you kind of go in uh, to founding the startup. Did your parents kind of like laugh and say like, Hey, like, what are you doing, Jane? Like, this is a great job. Like you could have a great retirement. This is easy. Just chalk it up. Your colleagues are like crypto. You gotta be kidding me. Like you're, you're going to go do that. <laughs> yeah. Was, was there like this tension or was it just smooth as butter? No, no, there was definitely a lot of tension. I think, um, the, and I wouldn't say it's specific to web three per se. I think it's just the difference of working at a company and being a founder of a company is really you're the person that's pushing the pace of the project. Like no one's going to be here to be like, hey, when's this done? Right. Like at the end of the day, between me, John and Brian, we really have to push each other to make sure that we meet the deadlines, because especially in a bear market, especially because things move at the speed of light. Right. There are so many things pulling you in different directions, right? Maybe the flavor of the month isn't borrowing and lending. It really makes you doubt, okay, well, like, 
if everyone's like flocking to, let's just say perps, like, is this the future or should I be focused on building my product? So I would say um, making sure that we um, we're not we're, we're like laser focused on what we set out to build rather than thinking about all these di different variations of things that we could build um, is most important. And, and it is also a delicate balance, right? Because you also want to stay relevant to the market. But at the same time, you don't want to be blindsided by like everything that's coming and just get lost in the in the crowd. Yeah, I feel like everybody and their brother right now is launching a decentralized perpetual futures exchange on Arbitrum. <laughs> is, is that just me? I mean, I know you just kind of made a jab at it, but it's true. Like there's like a hundred of these things that have cropped up in the last like 10, 10 weeks. Yeah, yeah, I mean- That's very, very true. Yeah, I, I think I think perps are an awesome product, but um, it is the flavor of the month right now. And, and it's hard not to talk about it in any conversation. How did you decide on going uh, to uh, Starkware instead of Arbitrum or instead of Optimism or instead of Matic? Yeah, um, I love that question, actually. Um, so our CTO, John, he really, really geeked out on ZK Rollups. He he did a ton of research on it, um, started looking at And this was like middle of last year when like Solano was still kind of like the flavor of the month, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and ZK and optimistic rollups were just coming into the picture. Um, but John really believed, okay, ZK rollups will take longer than optimistic rollups, but he really sees them given that like they're backed by proofs and not, um, I guess, yeah, backed by like ZK. Subjectivity, subjective yeah. optimism. <laughs> um, not, not so much by like trust, I guess, and, and just assuming everyone's a good actor. Um, he, he really felt that this was the future. Um, for me and Brian, it took a little bit more convincing um, and, and what we focused on was more so the ecosystem. So we, we really explored like ZK Sync, Starkware, um, Scroll, and, and at some point even like Polygon Hermes, which uh, I believe is coming to the market, right? Um, but after meeting with the Starkware team, what I loved the most is um, beyond geeking out on the tech, I really felt like they were a team that delivered. So Ellie was, uh, he's the chairman of Starkware. He's the guy who started Zcash. Um, and with ZK rollups, there are actually two like major uses. One is privacy, which is something you guys had mentioned and, and, and something I'd love to talk a little bit more about. And the other is actually in terms of blockchain scalability. And with StarkNet, they really focused on blockchain scalability. Um, so, you know, saw the track record of Zcash and StarkX, which powers DYDX, um, as well as Immutable. We we're like, okay, well, these guys are legitimate. Like, let, let, let's start with them. Um, and, and obviously they have not disappointed. Um, I look back on kind of the products that Starkware has delivered. It isn't just about ZK rollups. Um, it's also about um, things like recursion. Um, so trying to make sure that like you can scale even more transactions in a single proof or proving that the prover was, how do I say it? Like basically proving that like, proving a different proof. So basically you're like recursive adding like different transactions, like more and more transactions into one single proof than, than you already have. Um, and and things like account abstraction, these are all kind of, and, and layer three, so privacy layer. These are all like new products that were really never quite discussed when we decided to go into StarkNet. But um, given the team has really just been focused on delivering, I just keep seeing new and new products come out that are not only just about ZK rollups. Let's continue that train of thought into privacy and ZK. Bryce and I are big fans of zero knowledge technology 
and all the different things it unlocks as well as the flexibility of what it won't unlock. What are your thought processes in building that into ZK Lend? Yeah, so this is this is a really interesting topic, and 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 I I think I want to clarify that um, unfortunately with well I don't know if it's unfortunately I would say with Starknet the focus is really having a public uh, blockchain, so everything is transparent like it is on Ethereum, um, and the idea is just to use zk rollups to scale the network so that you can fit or compress as many transactions as you can into a single proof. Um, but that being said, obviously, given Starkware's track record, you know, the idea of using ZK rollups for privacy is extremely, extremely interesting. Um, that being said, we, we've really put some thought into it. And it's unfortunately not as simple as saying, hey, we're just going to go on to a privacy layer and like people won't be able to um, see kind of what's been deposited or what's been borrowed by different players, because obviously there are certain needs and certain people that might want to keep their transactions private. Um, mm -hmm. But the technology itself is a little bit more conducive to things like DEXs. So things with trading volume of the same size. So for example, if Aaron, you're trading 100 ETH, um, then just kind of like Zcash and Tornado Cash, right? The sizes of your transactions need to be the same so that it could be masked. With borrowing and lending, it's a little bit different given the quantity and amounts are always slightly different. Um, and so I think in theory, the idea of private transactions sounds really good. And, and I, I would argue there's definitely a use case for it, especially for institutions. I just don't think we're quite there yet. So you guys are, are kind of attacking or from, from what I from what I see, you guys are attacking the angle uh, with a two pronged approach, sorry, attacking the industry with a two pronged approach. And, and that's like the DeFi kind of, uh, retail product that you guys have with Artemis. And then the institutional side of the, the business that you guys have with the Apollo product. And so can you kind of, uh, tell us about your, uh, your two pronged approach here? Yeah, of course. Um, so with Artemis, it's really a permissionless product. So anyone would be able to use the protocol to borrow and lend. And we are looking at over collateralization here, um, given we don't necessarily know the identity or the credit uh, worthiness of, of the different participants. Um, with, and I guess just to add on that, the goal is really to become kind of an ecosystem lead in this space. So it's not only about borrowing and lending things like ETH or USDC, but we actually want to enable things like isolated markets to support the different native StarkNet tokens, be it GameFi, DeFi, or whatever there is out there. It's a big idea. So it's, it's kind of like this, kind of like MakerDAO in a sense, it's a decentralized lending facility. It's over collateralized. And on the other side, instead of getting DAI, you get USDC or you get Tether or potentially down the line, one of these other uh, ecosystem tokens. Is that right? Um, yes, in some ways. I think I think it's just more so enabling the the borrowing. So if you want to deposit USDC, you're able to borrow any of the ecosystem tokens. Um, but obviously, given that there are longer tail assets in existence, especially for the ecosystem tokens, we do plan to launch things like isolated markets. So really isolating the risk of core markets from some of the tokens that might be a little bit more volatile. So people who are actually engaging in isolated markets might be able to earn um, a higher yield if they deposit their USDC in an isolated market, knowing that the people who are putting up collateral 
um, might be putting up collateral that is slightly more risky than the likes of something that is um, in the core market. So in terms of Apollo, the, um, the approach is slightly different. It is, um, I guess, a permissioned service. So the way you think about it is um, instead of both borrowers and lenders being um, anyone with a wallet, the idea is um, each lender will be a KYC or KYB institution. Um, and in order to borrow, they would need to go through both off-chain and on-chain analysis around um, things like AML, CFTC, and, and, and kind of their credit history. Um, and the idea is um, ultimately these guys, be it market makers or VCs, would be able to borrow, um, create their own pools, borrow, and potentially borrow from either retail users or other institutional users, depending on what their compliance requirements are. One of the things we always hear talked about is the big barrier to entry in Web3 is the user experience, especially the Ethereum ecosystem. If you know how to use synthetics, it doesn't mean you know how to use Compound. Uh, there's like no unification really, but we've seen a lot of kind of copycats of Uniswap as a from a user experience perspective, just so people have uh, an easier entry. But if the problem is user experience, how? What's your perspective on continuing to copy what everyone else is doing so there's familiarity versus redesigning from the ground up something that you feel is better and more simple? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's definitely a tough question. Um, I, I think my 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 um, my initial answer would be um, definitely like when we design when we went about designing ZKLN, um, we definitely reference protocols that worked, right? So thinking about the user experience, what we're used to and what we liked, um, but probably because Brian and I actually come from a TradFi or Web2 background, there was a lot of stuff that actually didn't make sense for us. So um, for example, um, one of the things that I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in exploring is when I look at interest rates right now for um, how interest rates are priced right now in lending protocols, um, you're really focused on things like utilization rate in a specific pool and really determining interest rates based on that. And that's how users see that. Um, but me, for me coming from a TradFi background, like what I think about when I think of interest rates is like, I think about what other banks offer. Like how is my interest rate that I'm being offered competitive compared to what another bank is offering to me? Um, and sorry, going back to your question about like user experience, right? Yes, I think like user experience is important. UI is important. How they interact with the protocol is important. Um, but um, beyond that, what we're really thinking about is um, some of the designs in Web3, like do they make sense? And how do we actually make sure that um, some of the things that work in Web3 we keep and some of the things that don't necessarily make sense or that actually make sense in TradFi right now, we also bring over. Love it. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the uh, milestones that you guys have hit, uh, maybe in terms of, any, well, anything that you guys are particularly proud of and that want to highlight, but maybe even in terms of uh, like how big the market cap of, of the uh, network has become or how much total value locked you guys have accrued? Yeah, um, I can talk a little bit more about it. Um, it might be a little bit premature in terms of product stats because we haven't launched on mainnet yet. Um, but in terms of milestones, um, we... So we fundraised back in March um, and we launched our testnet three months ago. So uh, late July. And so far it's been it's been pretty good. We've definitely gotten some feedback, especially around our UI. Um, 
from some of our investors, some eco from ecosystem guys, as well as um, community members. And we actually decided to do a complete reskin. Um, so not everything is always smooth sailing, right? Sometimes things don't work and, and we need to turn the ship around. Um, and so we are looking to launch our Artemis mainnet in the next, I would say, two-ish months, depending on kind of, well, it's dependent on StockNet's timeline, but at the same time, um, we think it's gonna align very nicely. So I'm hoping to really launch it in Q4 um, on mainnet and, and, and hopefully go out with, go out with a bang. Um, but obviously this is only one half of the product. The other half of our product is Apollo, which is our institutional product. Um, and with Apollo, we are hoping to take a more white glove approach. So not just build the protocol and then see who picks it up, but rather align with the institutions that actually want to come on board and build the product around what they want. So our goal is to identify the institutions that would come on board um, sometime in Q1 to Q2 of next year, and then build the product and ship it sometime in Q3. So um, hopefully by Q3, we can fully transition into a DAO setup. I think that's really, really smart. Uh, just simply tailor directly to what your customer wants and you're gonna have them for life. Mm. Brilliant yeah. way to approach things. <laughs> um, Jane, this has been so much fun talking to you for the last 35 minutes or so. Just one more question before we let you go and get back to building the future. Um, for those who are listening to the podcast for the very first time, and they're learning about what PayPal did and ZK rollups and all this stuff, can you also give them one more word of advice just for getting into this space? Yeah, um, honestly, I think my, <laughs> my one line is YouTube is your best friend. And I'm sure a lot of people might might think that or maybe they won't dare to say it, but I probably learned like 95% of what I learned on YouTube, um, just watching a ton of like thankless Vinematics and, and really um, watching the videos and asking or getting the answers on YouTube for the dumb questions that I didn't necessarily dare to ask someone who's very experienced. Um, like I would go to back to the basics, right? Like how do I get a wallet, right? How do I trade on Uniswap? These are things that might sound super, super simple, but man, it took me, it took me days, if not weeks to learn some of these things. So I would say like, don't be put off just because like someone starts talking about Web3 and like how they trade on Uniswap and like slippage, AMMs, like these are things that don't necessarily come naturally and you actually need to put in time and effort to learn before it becomes kind of, smoother sailing yeah well said uh, great note to end things on jane thank you so much for uh for coming on this show uh and for everybody who's at home listening uh hope you enjoyed uh come back around later this week we'll have some more amazing guests uh thank you so much jane we'll talk to you soon thank you